Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Above the Break. That's the new name for this NBA podcast I'm going to have. I'm your host, Shane Young, and once again, I'm going to be joined by my buddy, my local friend, Clay Wilder, senior at the University of Louisville. I'll introduce him until you all get familiar. How you doing, Clay? Good, Shane. Uh, what's on your mind today? What are you thinking basketball-wise? <laughs> What's on my mind today is a lot of stuff. We have a lot of uh, topics here. We could probably go for an hour, and that's what we'll probably do. You know, it being a Sunday night, there's a lot of stuff that we have to catch up on because news came out around Wednesday, Thursday with some injury stuff, and then one player's making a return tonight, or did make his return tonight. We are recording this on Sunday night at 7 p.m., so, uh, you know, whenever you listen to this, Kyrie Irving will have already played for the Brooklyn Nets after missing a lot of games. Uh, Clay, what's been on your mind about Kyrie's return, or what what are you looking forward to tonight whenever we actually get to go through the film and watch this? Well, I'm, I'm just glad Kyrie's back, honestly. Being a Celtics fan, I have a little uh, little disdain towards Kyrie, but he's, he's good for the game, and it's going to be good to see him back out on the court. He was averaging a 28.5 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 7.2 assists before the injury. And Brooklyn was sitting at a 4-7. and seven. And now Brooklyn is right in the thick of the uh, playoff race. What are they, in the 8th seed right now? Yeah, 8th because they've, they've lost a lot of like games that they really shouldn't have. Um, and, you know, on the road I just feel like they, they're struggling. But at home they do perform up to expectations. Like I was watching the Heat Nets, and their late game execution was awesome. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie pick and rolls with one of the guys we're going to talk about later. Uh, and then Karis LeVert was just awesome down the stretch of the, the Heat game. But other than that, I mean, one thing that Brooklyn, one thing that's sticking out to me about the Nets is they're 13-13 and 13 without Kyrie in these 26 games he's missed. And, you know, you would say, well, that's a decent record. They don't need Kyrie Irving. Well, that's false. I mean, Kyrie Irving is one of the most gifted and special offensive talents on planet Earth, and that is highlighted with Brooklyn not having his, his unique talents in terms of shot creation. They had a 104.4 offensive rating in the 26 games he missed. That was 28th in the league. So for for perspective, 104 is around the level of the Knicks right now as a total unit for this entire season. It's not great, guys. Not great. And defensively, though, that's the other side of the coin. There's two sides of the coin. For Kyrie Irving, he entered the season not playing hard defense after – and now I will say this. I'm not a Boston fan, but I did watch a lot of Celtics game last, last year. He – in the last two years, he has shown a lot of consistent hard effort with Brad Stevens on defensive on the defensive end. Now he might not be the most he might not be the most intelligent defender. He might not always make the smartest decisions, but he was putting in a lot of effort with Boston and this year it kind of fell off and you're seeing the Nets now with Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and all those uh, and Karis LeVert and all those young guards. LeVert just got back by the way um, from a hand injury. You're seeing those guys pick up the slack and and my real question is are they going to uh, regress defensively during these games that Kyrie's going to return, or are they going to just continue this and, and surge up into the sixth or seventh in the in the East? I think defensively they'll definitely regress, not significantly, but I think the offensive output that Kyrie is going to uh, going to establish is going to make up for that uh, that defensive lapse. And you know that kind of leads me to my next question for you, I guess. Kyrie plus culture. Kyrie is a great basketball player. He is 
the most exciting one maybe I've seen in my lifetime when he's got the ball in his hands, but he is an enigma. Yeah. And it kind of felt going into this season like he was on the outside looking in a little bit because this Nets team, it had a very strong core, an established core that's been working together for a few years now. And Kyrie, I'm not going to say he looked like an outsider, even though that's kind of what Kyrie is, but how do you think he's going to fit in coming back going forward? I, I think one difference is that in Boston, now you could say that all the all those young Celtics knew their role, and you could say that Brad Stevens was a a good coach to relay those duties and responsibilities for each role. But I think with Brooklyn, it's a little bit different because all those guys on the roster know unequivocally they are behind Kyrie in the packing order. They know where they stand. And with Boston, I think you saw – now, credit to Jason Tate on this guy. That, that We didn't even talk about that, which we will in a minute. This guy is one of the – most special, um, you know, two-way guys. I mean, I think that Tatum's defense gets a little bit of, uh, you know, he doesn't get enough credit on defense for what he's shown this season. But uh, he needed the shots. Jalen Brown needed the shots to to earn his extension. And you had all these guys. Al Horford still would like the ball every now and then. So I think that was a problem. Now with Brooklyn, they don't really have that. Spencer Dinwiddie loves coming off the bench, loves being that sixth man of the year. Loves doing everything he can do off the off the bench with uh, Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan. Take your pick, uh, whoever's in the game at the time. So I don't think that they really necessarily wanted the high usage, or, or you know, I don't think they care enough to take it from Kyrie the way all the other Boston guys, Terry Rozier, namely, wanted the ball a lot, and that was not conducive to playing with Kyrie. So I, th- I think with Brooklyn, it's a lot different. They Kenny Atkinson runs a lot of high pick and roll. Boston ran next to, ne- I'm not going to say next to none, but they were definitely in the bottom third of the league last year in just pick and roll usage. They were just sharing the ball around the perimeter. They didn't like just having two guys touch the ball in one given possession, which was Kyrie and Al Horford. Brooklyn loves that. Brooklyn did it with D'Angelo Russell all year, and they're just going to slide Kyrie back into there, and that's the thing with them. Do you think his main goal this season is going to be to get his, like to have his James Harden 40-point-per-game season, or do you think it's going to be more about just fitting in? Because watching him in the early games he played this year, to me it really felt like Kyrie versus the world, and that this season was just going to be about him kind of having fun until Kevin Durant came back. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely more about uh, – you saw a lot of possessions where he would break down a defender or two if he got doubled, uh, spin in the lane, or do a wicked crossover. The crowd in Barclays Center that was not used to this type of stuff because D'Angelo's a little more calculated, a little more um, – uh, I, I guess predictable with his stuff, like a Darren Williams type almost. Yeah, that's what they're used to. Yeah, he's just very, D'Angelo was very predictable. It was either I'm going to go to the rim, or I'm going to pull up for this mid ranger. Occasionally, I'll pull up for three. Uh, I don't think he took enough threes. D'Angelo did last year, but with Kyrie, you don't know what the dude's going to do when he gets past you. I mean, it could be a spin, it could be a half spin, it could be a full spin, it could be a left-handed reverse, right-handed reverse, pull-up jumper. I mean, he has the complete bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. And you would hear the crowd go, ooh, ah, and then the shot would miss. He, he was not very efficient during his games. To, to my eyes, maybe the numbers are different, but to my eyes, he had a lot of games where it just wasn't falling for him. And I just think the Nets are going to uh, re- really use this year to establish what – the tendencies are going to be, but then next year they have a whole nother cycle of development to do with when when Kevin Durant steps on the floor and those guys like Dinwiddie, Harris, Lavert get even less shots. Yeah, 
and it's worth noting Kyrie's usage for the first uh, 11 games was 34.2%. That's which a career is, high. That is a career yeah. high, and if, if it stood like that, it would be the 40th highest usage rate in league history. So That seems... It doesn't seem like I, I I would have guessed that would have been top twenty. Yeah. But then you have like maybe five rust seasons with thirty eight, thirty nine, maybe four hardened seasons of thirty eight, thirty nine. So mm-hmm. it does add up a little bit. I can understand why it would be that low on the list. Uh, but yeah, I kind of mentioned this, uh, Clay, your guy, Jason Tatum. I was watching a little bit of the uh, I watched a little bit uh, of the Boston game afterwards. Whenever they after it was final. And this guy had a career night. Not only was it a really high-scoring game, but it was his career-high efficiency as well. Did you watch any of it? Yeah, I watched the majority of that game actually, and uh, it, it was unreal. Really, it was yeah. every time. It was as a Boston fan, so cathartic because it's what we've wanted for the last three years and what we were expecting to get last year. Like every time he touched the ball, you could just feel the electricity. Like. He wanted the shot, and once he got to, uh, let's see, once he got to about 37 points, he took, I think, two or three threes in a row that were pretty pretty ill-advised because he was trying to get to that 40-point mark so bad yeah. before uh, Stevens pulled him. <laughs> so he ended up finishing with uh, 41 points, and he didn't even play the fourth quarter. Yeah, Boston, through three quarters, had a 144.7 offensive rating. That means over a game of 100 possessions, they were going to score about 144, and they got to 140. So, you know, even with the Stars not playing, they still hit their expected value there. Imagine if they would have kept them in. They would, we've, we've seen the Clippers, Clay, score 150 points twice this season, which is just beyond me. We've seen the, the Rockets score 159 in Washington, where both teams, like, were just not playing defense whatsoever. Uh, Boston could have got to 155, 160 if they would have kept their guys in probably. And just to talk about just expanding on Tatum and his season a little bit and where this game kind of fits in, Jason Tatum is having a really good year. He's averaging 21.3 points, uh, right around seven rebounds and right around three assists, which are all career highs for him. But he's yeah. also shooting career low percentages from uh, from the field and from three. And, uh, you know, people kind of look at that and they think, oh, he's losing efficiency. He's yeah. not losing efficiency. His volume's going up. And he's shooting five more shots a game this year than he ever has. So that, That's good for him. Um, and, you know, you would say, well, Boston's probably going to be struggling offensively if Tatum takes a higher load. No, they've been top top six, top seven this year. So it's right where I would expect them. Now, I have to shout out my guy, Nikias Duncan, from Bleach Report and Miami Heat Beat, uh, Up Rocks, a lot of places he writes. Tatum went seven of eight on layups last night, seven of eight at the, at the rim. And that marks the third time he's converted over half of his layups this season. Only only three times he's made over half of his layups. That is that that's kind of weird. I'll shout out Nikias for that tweet, by the way. I'll tell you, watching the games because I've watched the majority of the Celtics games this year, and the big thing about Tatum going into the season was he would not take the ball to the rack. Like settle for pull-ups, he'd take uh, threes and he'd hit them, but he would not take the ball to the yeah. rack. This season, he's been taking the ball to the to the hoop a lot more. He hasn't been as as efficient as I would have expected, though. Like, you'll see him go in and he'll take a layup that I'm like, I could have made that, and he misses it. But yeah. uh, it's good to see that he's being aggressive, and those shots will fall for him with with his skill set and his development. Those will start to fall, but yeah. So um, you know, just to circle back around to his former teammate Kyrie uh, before we move on here. 
One thing to note about Kyrie's return, uh, now you could be listening to this and Kyrie could have dropped 40, and you know the shoulder might not have been a, a big problem, but he had missed uh, that time with a right shoulder injury, and he was he was getting cortisone shots because he didn't want to, he wanted to put off surgery, assuming he didn't even want to get it in the first place, or he would delay it until later in the, in the offseason because Brooklyn's not expected to do anything in the playoffs, maybe maybe make some noise in the first round, but Kevin Durant will not be back. People need to get that out of their heads. He's not returning. Um, so with, with Kyrie, I would assume that he's going to have some surgery around May or June. If he doesn't, I kind of got a question why he would not get you know not nip that in the bud right away. Thank you for bringing that up because that's actually, again, being in Boston last year, he dealt with a lot of lingering injuries. Yeah. And this year – You'd think, as a basketball player, like in your mind, you'd say, "Okay, I can tell this shoulder injury is. I'm going to be out a while. I'm going to go ahead and have the surgery right now, yeah. so I can be good to go for the second half of the season. Maybe after the All Star break, if he would have had the surgery immediately, do you know how long he would have?" Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't read any of the reporting there, but or I didn't really see any of the reporting there because he was adamant he didn't need it or didn't want it. He was just going to keep getting those shots. Now, I will say. If they, if we get to like February first and he starts having this pain again, you just better shut it down. You gotta, you're, yeah. you're not playing for anything at this point. You're you're playing to get swept by the Milwaukee Bucks. So I mean, which uh, Kyrie is is pretty used to. It, you know, not not used to. That's the wrong way to say it. But last year they went up 1-0, then got spanked in four straight games. Uh, so Kyrie's <laughs> not you not. Uh, Kyrie's definitely used to playing Giannis. Yeah. So moving on to another. Return or not even return. He he just went out. Uh, another Eastern Conference injury we have here, and I don't. I, it really pains me to talk about injuries to these to these top ten stars. Kyrie and Joel Embiid at their peak are top ten players, and Embiid just had surgery the other day on his left hand to repair a torn ligament. I know you everyone saw the picture or the video of his uh, dislocated finger and everything, and I guess that led to a torn ligament. I'm not. I'm not a doctor. Don't ask me about the connect chain there. But, yeah, the Sixers say that Embiid will be reevaluated in one to two weeks. Clay, I know you hear – I know you see that all the time. You see people say, oh, well, he, that means he'll be back in one to two weeks. That means that means he'll be playing in, in two weeks whenever they play Team X. No, I think what has to be understood is that these doctors don't even like putting timelines on – or timetables on injuries anymore whatsoever – because it just gets the fans thinking something that Embiid could come back in two weeks and say, oh, I'm still experiencing pain. I need to be out another week or so. And the doctors have no clue what to expect until it responds to the surgery. Yeah, I mean, how many times was uh, Kawhi reevaluated in 20, yeah. was it 2016, 2017? Yeah. yeah, he played nine games. Yeah. So that was 17, 18. Oh. Yeah, 2017, 18, Kawhi played nine games, and they kept on – Saying, oh well, he he's gonna be clear to play for February. He's gonna be cleared in March, and then he was out. He came back in New Orleans, and then was out the the whole rest of the year. Yeah, and it's so far in Joel Embiid's uh, career, he set his whole first season, first two seasons, first two seasons, yeah. played thirty one games, sixty three, then sixty four, and honestly, I think sixty four for him is pushing it. I yeah, I didn't see. I figured he'd be at about a 50 to 60 limit for his career. If you consider a team on average gets 13 back-to-backs, you're already at 69 games played. 
if you sit out back-to-backs, which Embiid should have been doing or should be doing for his, his whole career. I yeah. mean, until the NBA gets rid of these back-to-backs, which we could probably have that discussion next podcast about load management, management back-to-backs. Uh, we talk about that later. Until the NBA gets rid of that, I think that these guys that are injury-prone need to be out and you know need to preserve themselves for the big prize. Why burn your energy, or why, not energy, but why burn your body um, whenever you know that you have an ailment going on at a certain certain limb or a certain part of your body whenever the games aren't going to really dictate your storyline or your narrative about your entire reputation until April or May. So that's how I feel about it. Now, it's important to note, though, that like if you had to, if you had to guess whenever Embiid would be back with this injury, he just had surgery, and very rarely do you see someone come back a week or two weeks after surgery. I would lean towards after the All-Star break, about February 22nd, February 21st, I think that's when the All-Star break ends, after they, they all get back from Chicago, which would mean that he probably will not play for the Eastern Conference All-Stars. You would have to assume at this point, maybe? Yeah, um, so you're putting about a month and a half timetable on that, you think? I, yeah, they said one to two weeks, I'll go four to five, yeah. I think probably about four, and what you say makes sense. It's so close on that timetable. Just leave him out to the All-Star break, yeah. let him rest, let him come back healthy, because the Sixers, what what seat are they fighting for, really? I think, they're, I think currently they're fifth or sixth. I think they're currently fifth. Now, I would have to be fact-checked on that. Let's see, they're fifth, yeah. yeah. And let's see, they're tied 25 wins with the Raptors. Yeah. But realistically, the Sixers are probably going to fall in that 3-5 to five range. I would say... Since I'm projecting Embiid to be out, I would say they're going to be six by the time he gets back. And but you have also have to remember though that I, I believe now I'm just going off memory. I believe that Philly and Indy are split one one in the season series. Now I think they play twice. Now if they haven't, someone tell me later on. But that tiebreaker scenario is going to matter because Oladipo is not going to come back and be this you know game buster type of guy. He's going to take some time. They're going to rack up some L's here and there, right? Yeah. So just because he's going to be probably inefficient when he comes back until until he gets his legs under him. And B, when he comes back, Philly's going to be right there with Indy. So that tiebreaker situation, the, they, they play either one or two more times, that's definitely going to be something I look forward to. Uh, to monitoring because I was in attendance when the Sixers got absolutely blitzed by 40 in Indy and it was not pretty without Embiid. Yeah, but yeah, what I mean, what I mean by that basically though is the Sixers aren't going for the one seed. They're not going for the two seed. They don't really care who they have first round. If they do end up in that uh in that six seed, they'd be slated right now to uh play the Celtics actually. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think about that? Uh, I would pick Philly in five. I know you would. <laughs> now, funny story. Before I knew you, before you knew me, uh, do you remember the first round series between Sixers? No, second round series. Sorry, second round series between Sixers and uh, Celtics. Embiid's first real year. When the is that when the Celtics won four one? Yeah, yeah. So that was short way to put it. That was whenever Kyrie was out, and it was just. Yeah, that it was, was just a, the the squad with Terry Rozier and Dame seven against the Cavs. Yeah. yeah, so that year, I went into that series and picked Sixers in four, because they were coming off an impressive series against Miami, and 
Boston struggled against Milwaukee, if you remember. It definitely wasn't the Milwaukee that they are today. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, Sixers are going to steamroll this team. And then that's whenever the two-to-three coward Ben Simmons stuff started happening because Ben had the worst five-game stretch of his entire life. So, yeah, uh, long story short, Sixers-Celtics in a first-round or second-round series would be awesome and must-watch television, but I would still pick Philly. Now, I think it's important to move on because Embiid will not be back for a while. So we just covered two of the major Eastern Conference injuries. Now, as you mentioned to me when I was coming over here, though, a couple of guys making the return tonight. Yeah, um, Pascal's actually back tonight, Pascal Siakam, and we're at halftime of the Toronto-San Antonio game, and he's leading Yeah, he's leading all scorers right now with 14 points, and then he's also added an assist and a couple rebounds. He's shooting 50% and 2 of 5 from 3, so yeah. he didn't miss a beat. He's played 13 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you gotta love noises downtown, people. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm excited to see Siakam back because not not only for the All Star stuff, but that is a major thing because I, I want to see him start the All Star game. He's probably he probably won't uh, if you had to factor in the fan voting as well. But I would like to see him start it, and for another reason of him being back is that Toronto has usurped every expectation. I thought I thought 48 wins was was it for them. Now they're probably gonna fall into that area now because of uh, the injuries taking a toll. Kyle Lowry was out for a while. Marcus Hall's still out. You know, all, the, all those type of guys. But I would love to see Siakam just take over and regain his, uh, not MVP candidacy because that's probably out the window, but at the same time, he could definitely be uh, on, on the cuffs of all NBA first or, se- or second team or third team. So. Yeah, and I mean, the Raptors have that X factor that uh, Patrick McCall, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't he won a championship every he, year he's he been has, in the league? He has three rings. He's going to be the new Robert Ory. Uh, Sorry, that was disrespectful to Robert Ory. Uh, (laughs) Good shot, Rob. Okay, so a third thing I want to get into here before we – and this will just be a a little short rant by either one of us here, probably me, uh, before we get into our little segment that I created called Our Two Intriguing Players. Before we get there, it's worth noting, guys, the NBA will not look into – including the reseeding of the conference finals. So if in case you were all unfamiliar with that, one of the proposals, along with that stupid midseason tournament that we haven't discussed, and, and it doesn't deserve discussion, along, along with the um, – well, what's the other one? I forgot. The, the midseason tournament. Oh, the, the play-in tournament, which I actually like for the like last that. two seeds. The, the other part of that was once you get to the Final Four, so let's use last year as an example, Warriors, Blazers – and uh, Bucks Raptors, you would reseed based on record. So theoretically, you would have Portland going against Milwaukee, and then Toronto and Golden State in the conference finals. Winner play each other. So we would probably get if KD was there, he was not there. So we're just going to use the last year as a, as a little headspace example here. We would get Raptors Bucks in the finals. Yeah, you know. So it gives the world a chance to see the two very best teams play on the biggest stage despite conference, just going by straight record. And the NBA said, no, we're going to take that off the table. So we're only going to look at the midseason tournament and the playing tournament and all that type of stuff, not the actual reseeding of the, the best teams in the world squaring off in May and June. What do you think about this? Uh, honestly, it's something I'm fairly neutral about, like, I've, I've liked the idea of the 1 through 16 seeds 
the last few years just because the West has been so dominant. Yeah. But now that the East is, I, I don't want to use the word caught up because we're halfway into one season. And the West is actually caught past them. So. Yeah, the West is past them now. So I don't want to say that the conferences are balanced yet. But I think it's heading in that direction. And you could reseed them 1-16. to 16. I think it would make for some more interesting playoff, yeah. playoff matchups. And there'd be no argument for who deserves to be there. Everyone in the playoffs deserves to be there. But do you think it's worth looking at shuffling the conferences at all? Well, no. I mean, I wouldn't shuffle the conference. But but you actually bring up an interesting point is that now I'm all team 1-16 through 16 seeds. Let, let's create the ultimate chaos. Could you imagine? Could you imagine, guys, if Miami – was in the first round with, uh, let's just call it the the Spurs. Okay. In the first round, a team that you know pops on his last leg is like with that organization with that co- uh, with that uh, roster, and then you have Miami, the upcoming team, playing in the first round. You know that's not too much travel. That's perfect. I mean that that's just an awesome first round series. But on the downside, the reason it, it would never happen though is because. The what we can all agree, or I mean you can agree that the West is stronger, like historically, this this season too, like it's stronger. Yeah, there's times where the East can yeah. compete with them, but for the most so, part, yeah. So throughout a regular season grind, is it fair to give to give everyone an equal chance at the number one, you know, one through sixteen seeding if the Spurs are playing a really tough schedule and the Hornets are playing this light cakewalk schedule? You know, like we shouldn't give the Hornets. Not not even the Hornets. We shouldn't give the Heat or someone like that an opportunity to get a higher seed because they're playing an easier schedule than a team in the West. So I think you would have to calibrate the schedules. You would have to make every team play the same opponents the same number of times because right now we get the Warriors playing the Lakers four times apiece. Meanwhile, the Celtics only have to play the Lakers twice, right? So that's not exactly fair for everyone. Yeah, I get that too, and – for the first time in a long time, though, last year with the Eastern Conference versus Western Conference playoffs, I actually thought the team coming out of the East had a more difficult, uh, more difficult. The Raptors. Yeah, I thought the Raptors they had went a more difficult. Orlando, Philly, Milwaukee. Yeah, and then Golden State had L.A., which was a really hard first round yeah. draw. L.A., Houston, Houston, and Portland. The Houston one was fun because it was two zero, and I was like, "Well, this is a wrap." I mean, I, I, when I wrote my preview column I picked Warriors in five and everyone gave me crap for it well they were up 2-0 and then they go to Houston and and I was there for those games it was uh fun but they lost in clutch time so yeah I understand that like the East actually maybe had a more difficult road last year because because Kawhi's game seven shot that bounced 85 times like that they might not have won that series if he didn't go crazy in the last couple games so yeah, I, I think we're I think we're kind of in agreement here that like we want to see one through sixteen, but we know that it's just not, it's not going it's, it's just not going to be something that the board of governors, aka all thirty owners, vote for. You would have every West team saying yes because you because they would want the opportunity to avoid the Lakers or avoid the Clippers yeah. until the finals, you know. But then you have every East owner saying no that's that's we we deserve finals revenue we deserve to go to the finals and if we get mixed in the same bracket as the clippers or lakers or whatever we're not gonna have that opportunity so the east ones will shut it down quickly man how much fun would like a lakers mavericks first round series be? Well, or a bucks mavericks bucks mavericks yeah that'd be awesome i'd but love like, to see that but i really I, I don't understand why the nba just shut down this conference final seating I, you know that was a half measure to me they 
they said instead of 1 through 16, let's actually try to receive the Final Four so we can get Kawhi versus LeBron, PG versus AD in the NBA Finals and not the West Finals. But now that's not even going to be the case. Yeah, and I, I do like that. Like, I didn't speak much on that, but I, I do like the reseeding the last four teams. I think that would make it. Well, we're not getting it. We're not so. getting it, but, uh, <laughs> you know. It's sad. You can dream. It, it's sad. So that was just a little rant. I, I don't like the way the NBA does playoffs. That's my rant. Although I will, I, I got to throw in a little shot to college basketball. A best of seven is always better than a single elimination. Or do you agree? Always, it's always better to know who it the best. It proves who the better team is. Yes. It proves who the better team is. It's not as fun. It's not as fun, but, but it who proves, cares? Like it proves I, who the better team is. I, I want to know: uh, Is Kawhi Leonard actually the best player in the world? And if no. he be, if he beats, <laughs> you said no. If he beats. <laughs> the Western Conference champion or Eastern Conference champion, whoever that is, four times out of seven, then yes, he is. Or, you know. Just just in a one-sentence response, who who is the best player in the Kawhi world? Kawhi Leonard. Oh, okay. When it comes down to the final... Uh, when, when it comes down to the final two weeks of a season and the game is on the line, or the, your season's on the line, what we've seen in the last three or two or three playoff runs... Now, if you remember... In San Antonio, his last healthy season, they won 61 games. He blitzed through the Grizzlies in the first round. Actually, it was a six-game series, but he averaged like 35. It was ridiculous. David Fisdale even said, this dude bleeds antifreeze, is what he said about Kawhi. And then he goes through, uh, I forgot who went through in the second round, but then he gets to Golden State. He went, through, 20, Houston, right? he went through Houston in the second round. Houston. Then he goes to Golden State and looked awesome. He looked like the best part on the floor, on, on, on the same floor that included Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. So, I mean, that was his last playoff run before this championship. And he had one of the best playoff runs of all time. Next to LeBron in 2017-18, next to LeBron in 2016, next to Jordan in 1996. I mean, this guy has been on his money when it matters. Now, who would you say is the best player in the world? Giannis. I'm not going to sit there and call you an idiot for that because (laughs) he is the reigning two-time MVP because he's going to win this one. So that's not stupid, but like when, when they play each other... Who was better last year? Kawhi. Kawhi. But it's so hard to judge because when you look at Kawhi, you don't see, like, he just doesn't make mistakes. He does everything. Kawhi? Yeah. yeah. And, like, Giannis, he's a freak of nature. Like, yeah. as far Giannis, as— I, I guess it's fair to say Giannis is better from game one to— uh, Well, <sighs> Kawhi's been better for stretches. He doesn't care so, about So I would say Giannis is better for 80% of the regular season, but then Kawhi's better 100% of the playoffs okay, to me. Real quick, just checking in on Kyrie at halftime. The uh, the Nets are up 70-46. to 46. Jeez. And let's see how uh, how he's doing on his return. At home, too. I love how these guys always return at home. Let's see. Oh, Cam Reddish, poor guy. No, Cam <laughs> Reddish, my, my buddy. Also, I'll shout out Nikias real quick. Uh, this is a funny story. Nikias was in the in the uh, locker room after the Hawks played the the Rockets, and Cam Reddish shot. This was after he had a horrible game too. Shot a paper ball into a trash can and airballed it. If that's not uh, you know symbolic of his NBA career, I don't know what is. But go ahead. So yeah, Kyrie's just sitting at a uh, eleven points, two assists, two rebounds, and that's in fourteen minutes. Yeah. He's only missed one shot, five of six. So. <laughs> Hey, no, he's actually distributing a little bit here. Yeah, he's okay. just getting back into the swing of it. Nothing yeah. crazy. Well, it's the freaking Hawks. The Hawks. Yeah. The Hawks win the award for a team I don't want to hear anything about because, like, I'm sorry, Trey Young is not gonna. When I do my All Stars in about uh, six or seven days, I'm not putting this dude on the All Star team. I don't care if that gets backlash because he's averaging 29 and nine or you know 28 and nine. Yeah. 
you you cannot be a minus ten, you know, net rating team and get an all star. I mean, he's Devin Booker two point isn't he? Yeah, like not yeah. necessarily the same. Somewhat, <laughs> at least Some, early on in Devin. Yes, early on, yeah. like young Devin Booker. Yeah. Okay, guys. Uh, now, bringing up to, to our uh, segment that I thought was going to be cool to do because I've really talked basketball with Clay, so I'm kind of interested in see what players he's either looking for or you know looking at and watching, maybe uh, under the radar. Maybe guys that he thinks need more shine. Maybe guys that he thinks are overrated. And I'm and I picked two players, and he picked two players, and we don't know any of these players that we picked. So we're just gonna go down the list here, and we'll spend a couple minutes on each and and talk about why this player needs shine or why this player needs some recognition. Uh, Clay, who's your first player that you chose? Jared Allen, center for the Nets. We talked about how the Nets have. Uh done well in Kyrie's absence to stay near 500, and Jared Allen's been a really big part of that. He's averaging 11.5 points, 9.8 rebounds, almost a steal, and uh, 1.3 blocks. And he's got positive offensive and defensive plus-minus for the first time in his career. He's both sides of the ball. He's positively contributing. His, he's got a, he's got per 36 averages of 15.6 and 13.3. Like I, I don't want to get too into numbers. Yet, Jared Allen's good. <laughs> he, he's playing very well, and centers don't get a whole lot of whole lot of love typically. Those t- those type of centers too, those rim diving, shot blocking, um, you know, young. I think he's twenty two, twenty three. Correct. I think he's twenty two. Yeah. Not too sure about that, but he those type of guys don't get a lot of love because they don't demand the ball a lot. And it it you know you could say he's DeAndre Jordan two point more athletically gifted right now at this stage, but I think he's just. I think he's smarter as an offensive guy because his passing's really coming along too. And his efficiency, man, seventy-seven point five percent of his shots are coming from between zero to three feet, <laughs> and he's converting seventy-six and a half of them. Like, now, now, if you remember Prime DeAndre, though, Prime yeah. DeAndre was like eighty-eight percent of his shots, maybe even ninety-five percent of his shots. Like it was up, it was up there, like in some blasphemous territory where DeAndre was just like... Wasn't it like four years in a row or something he was leading the league in field goal percentage? Yeah, because it was all just gifted to him. Just just, just automatic lobs at the rim from Chris Paul, the best passer we've ever seen. Yeah. So, yeah. And also that's why he got a little more exposure. And I think Jared Allen is doing pretty similar to what DeAndre Jordan was doing, but just not getting the credit. He's. I think Jared Allen's a better player at this stage and a smarter player at this stage. More polished, for yeah. sure. And actually, I thought this was interesting. This is just a little throw-in. He's 14th in win shares right now. That's more than Simmons, Embiid, Steven Adams, anybody on the Celtics. So he's really in my opinion, actually been the Nets' MVP in Kyrie's absence, and nobody's talking about him. Yeah, he is definitely flying under the radar, Clay. I mean, I, when you when you think about how DeAndre is actually getting minutes, and it still burns me alive that the fact that he robs Jared Allen of time on the floor. But maybe all Jared Allen wants or can play is 26 minutes a night. Maybe that's all he can do to be effective. I mean, if you remember... Jokic in his early part of his career, he could barely play 20, 25 minutes without getting winded. So luckily he's got his stamina up a little bit, and maybe Jared Allen just needs that. Maybe he doesn't want to be a 35-minute a guy, but or minute-per-game guy. But it's hard. As you are sitting here showing me, like the facts bear it out to where he is one of the most effective bigs in the league. Yeah, and maybe, like you said, maybe he never does develop to one of those uh, 35 35- minutes a game guys, but he can still be a really effective player playing 26 minutes. And not to mention, he's eighth right now in true shooting, 
among all the guys who have played at least 20 minutes a game and played 20 games. Yeah, you have guys like Mitchell Robinson who only catches lob dunks. You have guys like uh, Brendan Clark who is – Brendan Clark is an underrated gem. This guy shot 70% on twos last year at college. 70% on twos last year as the guy at Gonzaga. And now being in a role, being a role player type with Memphis is still among the most efficient guys in the league. That's awesome. So keep an eye out for him, Grizzlies. I mean, he is good. I cannot believe they stole him in the late first round, I think it was. Um, correct me if I'm wrong again because my draft order is a little bit mixed up. Now with Jared Allen, one thing I'll say about him, though, it takes him a little bit of time defensively when it comes – like he's a great shot blocker. Mm-hmm. But I think he needs to work on the in-between type of stuff. I mean, I saw Chris Paul, and I know you can say Paul is the one of the best surgeons in history when it comes to creating his shot in the mid-range. But multiple times in that game against Oklahoma City the other night last week, they they were playing drop coverage. For those who don't know what that is, the big, the big drops back on pick and roll. It invites mid-range shots. It invites – Guys like Cantor plays it a lot now with Boston. He just allows guys like Damian Lillard to shoot threes. Guys like um, you know Chris Paul to pull up in front of him, and they want to give up those type of shots. But Jared Allen needs to do a little bit better job of closing out, closing in a little bit, uh, and and being more reactive. But at the rim, he is definitely a rim stifler. Yeah, I mean that's kind of led to his a uh, 19th highest block percentage in the league. Yeah, you know and he's awesome, man. Like. It, to me, he's gonna be better than DeAndre, and it just—it's a really good comparison. Yeah. You would help. You would help DeAndre mold him or teaches him a little bit instead of like try to take his minutes. Hopefully, that's what's going on there. Just out of curiosity, if you had to guess, what would you? Uh, and I don't know how much stock you put in PER, but what would you think that uh, Jared Allen's PER is at this year? Well, all-time levels is thirty, and if you're over fifteen, you're average. If you're over twenty-two, you're really good. I would say it's at twenty-four. Twenty-one and a half. Twenty-one and a half, which is okay. still. Like six points above league yeah, average, that's good. so it's really good. Uh, so my guy, I, my my first guy here that I was thinking about, and I'll stick with center. I'll stick with, with the center position here. Um, I think a guy that doesn't get enough credit, despite his numbers not being good this year at all, his numbers are way down. Brook Lopez is to me, guys, in the top three or four of defensive player of the year. I would even have him third or maybe second. I think Gobert right now is a clear first, and it, it sounds a little disrespectful to put Giannis as low as third because he is the most important defender on the Bucks. But Brooke Lopez, by the way, was that your guy? No, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> Brooke Lopez is a seven-foot giant at the rim, does not move very well because he doesn't have to, and they funnel everything to him. He's the king right now of drop coverage. I mean, you could probably say Gobert because that's the way they, they, they funnel everything to Gobert in the lane. And they just pretty much say, okay, guys, blow by me. Not really, but, you know, blow by me so you can get punished by Rudy. That's kind of what Brook Lopez does. And Brook Lopez is not actively hunting block shots. He's not actively trying to do that. He just he happens to fall into a lot of block shots because he's he's seven foot one, seven foot two. Mm-hmm. And uh what I love about the way he plays is he's so methodical, like he'll block a shot or something and keep it in bounds. He he's not uh, he's not here for the highlight reels. He just wants to get the ball. And if you can if you can block it and get it to Giannis on the fast break, that's so much more valuable than blocking it out of bounds. So he's just one of the smartest guys. Mike Budenholzer has empowered him to be a 28-foot spacer. 
His three-point shooting, guys, it's down this year to 20, I think 27, 26%. I don't have the number right in front of me because I know it's low. I was looking at it the other night. And what what I still like about the, about him, though, is that it doesn't matter if he's shooting well or not. The defense has to respect him out there. If they don't, he's eventually going to hit a hot streak. But once they step out, Giannis is just licking his chops at that point. If that big steps out beyond the 16 to 17 foot mark, I mean Giannis has a has enough runway to get there. That's I mean I love Brook Lopez. I love his game entirely. I mean it's it's great what he's done and the resurgence he's had with the with the Bucks. Honestly, I haven't paid as much attention to him this year as I did last year. But I know last year he had a what was it? More I got a stat for you in a minute, by the way. Well, one that I'm thinking of. He uh, like I said, it was last season, but. I think he hit more threes in a season than Kobe ever did. you got it. You stole it. Uh, <laughs> and I, more I wrote blocks that in, than KG. I wrote that in my book. That's in my book. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so that's where you got it from, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the bottom of my uh, first page of my buck section. And when I when I wrote that, I was literally stunned. Like, the fact that this dude could have more threes made than a guy that chucked up a, a bunch of shots in Kobe and a guy that that really wanted to attack blocks as much as KG did, that's awesome. It really shows you how much the league has shifted, too. Yeah. Like, because how many how many threes do you think Kobe would attempt if he was playing in? Uh, well, let's see. Steph took eight hundred eighty six during his his unanimous MVP year. Harden took over eleven hundred last year. He's gonna take over thirteen hundred this year. I would say Kobe would be around seven hundred. He, he yeah. would understand that he not even maybe not seven hundred, maybe like 600 six hundred or so. Seven. Because he he likes the mid range game too much. Yeah. So it's hard to really say he would attempt as many as Harden or Steph. But yeah. Maybe somebody like Kawhi, similar numbers. Yeah. If to Phil that. Jackson told him to, then he would. <laughs> but um, so yeah, with Lopez, I I think that you have to give defensive player of the year Rudy Gobert. But the Bucks' defensive rating is like two points per one hundred possessions better than second place. Uh, and Giannis is definitely sole reason number one for that. But like under that is okay. Once once a guy gets past Giannis, or once Giannis maybe uh, has a lapse defensively or something like that, like Lopez has to do all the cleaning up. And with Chris Middleton being out for that long, he he's back now and playing awesome. But like he was out for a while, and Lopez was the the best defender they had at the rim, and it, he still is. And his brother Robin fills in here and there for his. <laughs> Uh, you know, 20 or so minutes a game. But, like, Brooke, that, in closing lineups, it's just really hard to get inside the lane on the Bucks, And I, I think that's why the Clippers and Lakers will have difficulties in the finals if, if all, all teams get there, you know. Yeah, and just updating on our weekly uh, net rating check for the Bucks, They're at 11.7 now. Freaking they, crazy. They've dropped a little bit, yeah. but still head sh- – man, the Lakers had a big yeah. jump in net rating this Be- week. Yeah, because they just – Blitz the Thunder without LeBron or Anthony Davis. Uh, Rondo turned into 2012 Rajon Rondo, and that disturbed me inside. We, we're not talking about Rondo every podcast. I got to quit saying it. Uh, your your second player, Clay. Who, who's your second player that you're either interested in this year, maybe the, for the future, or going under under the radar right now? Uh, this is kind of a boring pick, but I've really enjoyed watching Dwight Howard this year. Okay. He. Okay. Hey, I. You know, it's hard for me because I, I the like Lakers, Dwight too. I like him as a person, but like, I was given up on his skill after last year. Yeah, I've I've really he's had a bit of a resurgence. He's found a new role, and he's been able to kind of. I said this last week about Carmelo. It looks like Dwight's having fun playing playing basketball yeah. again, and some of the some of his numbers are way down. Like fewest minutes per game this season, um, points and rebounds. I think he's at about seven for points and rebounds, and I think those are both career lows. Played 30, 39 games this year. Zero starts. All 39 of his games have come off the bench. 
But then you look at some of his career highs, man. He's a he's shooting seventy three point seven percent from the field, seventy three point seven percent from the field. There was a time earlier that like he's had a bad couple of, I would say, couple weeks. Yeah. But like, there was a time where he was just scoring at will in terms of not not scoring at will, but like getting putbacks. He's probably right now the king of putbacks mm-hmm. because. He knows he's been in so many scenarios with Orlando and Houston and LA that he knows where the ball is coming off the rim and he's always there. He he's a really good box per, box out person and he's he he's just really smart on the boards and that enables that that enables him to get at least four to six points extra each night. Yeah, and he's actually got his highest uh, plus minus since uh, his last season with the Magic, the 2011-2012 season. He's got a plus 2.9, and this is probably the best team he's played for, but it's still nice to see that he's uh, contributing positively to this team. And it's he's got his lowest uh, usage rate this year as well, which probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. But And like Jared Allen, he's shooting 76% of his shots from between 0 to 3 feet, but he's turning into a little bit more of a dual threat because he's tied his career high for made threes this year. Oh, really? With two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One one thing about his threes, it actually looks really clean coming off his hands, and you you could even argue that he should take a step back or two at the free throw line. And I know analytics people don't really like that because duh, closer you are, the better odds. But there's a lot of guys in history that like taking a step or two back. And Dwight, the way it comes off, the way he he doesn't need to bend his legs, he, that would just make it way overpowered. I, we've seen a lot of uh, bricks at the free throw line for Dwight because he launches it at the class. Yeah. But you could argue he, he would be an even better free throw shooter if he would take a step back. And like you said, he's got a nice shot. The touch just isn't there. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, you ready for my second player? I guess. Okay. My second player, oh, you already see it. Uh, the, I've given this guy a hard time for years. Uh, a lot of Kentucky fans come at me because – Oh well, he would be playing. He, he would be playing way more efficiently if and playing a lot better defense if he actually had good role players around him. Give him a team. Give him a competent organization, and you'll see improved results. And I said, well, it shouldn't take that to really have a better shot selection, have um, at least some care on the defensive end of the floor. We're seeing a complete revamping, a complete improvement of Devin Booker. I to me. He's one of the most gifted, and I, I keep saying that word gifted for, for Kyrie, but like at this age, I think Booker's 23. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe 24. Maybe 23, 24. Let's look real quick. But like he's 23 years and 74 days old. So he just turned 23 years old. It is remarkable the, the windows he can shoot from, the footwork creating space that he has, the just, just everything with him, everything with his game that I've seen this year, getting to the rim. Um, the I think the mid range mid range game is a little bit more polished than even like a young Kobe at this age was. But although although we do have to see him advance this at, on a higher level against like really really tight playoff defense before we get to that type of discussion. But yeah, this year, are you ready for this? Twenty six points a game on. 57% from two-point range. 57% from twos. Like, last year was at 53. He's increased that by four percentage points. And it's not easy whenever you're the sole focus of a defense to improve your, your two-point accuracy because 
those are the harder shots. Or those are the more contested type of looks. You're getting into the teeth of the defense. You're getting contact that's often not called for guys like that that aren't you know playoff stars. Um, and, and, and from three-point range, last year had, a, had his worst year. He was really bad on threes last year. And a lot of people didn't realize that. A lot of local people didn't really want to knock him for being an inefficient shooter. He shot 32% on a lot of threes, six and a half a game. He's down in volume, but up to 36.5%, way over league average, or, you know, well over league average. True shooting, 63%. Now, I will say this before I give you the floor on Devin Booker, Clay. Only 22 individual seasons in NBA history. 22 individual seasons, that comes out to about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 different players. 10 different players, 22 seasons of 26 a game, on 63 true shooting. Devin Booker's one of them. And for him to do that at this stage, I'm older than Devin Booker. You're almost as old as Devin Booker or older. A little younger. Yeah, a little younger. Uh, imagine what you imagine what I was doing at 22 years old. Not scoring 26 a game on 63 true shooting. It's it's remarkable. Um, have you watched any of Devin Booker this year? And if you have, what maybe sticks out that's different? I've watched a little bit of the Suns. I, I kind of make it a point to avoid watching Suns basketball as much as I can because <laughs> in the past it just hasn't been very enjoyable for me. But yeah, they've been horrible. They've been one of the worst franchises over the last decade. Yeah, so. it's because front office, man, they don't want to spend any money. Yeah. But uh, I've always enjoyed watching Devin Booker play. The efficiency this year has been absolutely shocking yeah. to me because usually when you have – it's like the Trey Young thing that we were talking about. Yeah. You expect his efficiency to go down, but him to put up all these numbers because he's the only person on his team who's capable of playing basketball. You know what's awesome? What? Devin Booker last year at the rim, 66%. Pretty good for a guard. Awesome. Yeah. Play that Steph Curry level. This year, 75% at the rim. <laughs> like, you can't make this up. There's like, no I, I, like, I'm sitting here talking about being stunned at this guy. 74.3 at the rim. I mean, I've rounded, you know, I've rounded him up a little bit. I shouldn't have, but yeah, seventy-four point three at the rim. He's taking a lot of his shots from there. You know, Monty Williams has been in his ear. Monty Williams, right now, you you can't give him coach of the year. You can't even give him top three honors. But Jesus, he deserves some recognition because for him to say, okay, well, Devin, you're not going to take as many shots this year. You're actually going to take one fewer, but. You're going to benefit from the ball space or from the ball movement and the spacing with Rubio and uh, you know Aaron Baines. Give him credit. Learned a lot of his passing traits from Brad Stevens, and you have guys. I mean, I'm a big, uh, I'm a, I'm a big guy on Mikael Bridges. Like I really do like him for the future there. Ubre taking a step forward as a primary scorer when Booker's off the floor. That's helped him. That's helped everyone on that uh, roster so far. And I, 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 Phoenix is doing the good stuff. It's just they don't have the defensive capabilities yet, but they will in the future. And I wanted to ask you about Rubio, what you think I'm about that. I'm not a fan. You're not a fan? I'm not a fan of Rubio because this is year 27 of me trying to say convince myself into him getting a shot in clutch time situations, not because he needs to be the one to shoot it, but just for a freaking threat. Yeah. And it's not ever going to be the case. It just will not be the case. Last year he turned the ball over a lot. Utah was per- like Utah was really glad to get rid of him last year um, if they could replace him like Conley. Now Rubio's a bit better than Conley this year, and that's wild to say. I mean, he's having a great season for himself. Yeah, but I'm just not a fan. Because I, it, it it definitely has helped Booker in that regard to to have someone that can actually 
handle the ball for once in his life. But with Booker, I think what one thing that's been lost in this season for Booker that I wanted to see more of is the playmaking ability. Now, I'm hoping we, we get to see more of that later. But, you know, Rubio's fine for them now. But I just, as a long-term solution, I did not like the signing at the time. And I still don't, really. I, it's hard to say that. Don't come at me, Phoenix fans. But, like, I didn't like giving him, you know, more than one year. Yeah. But he wasn't going to come for more than – he wasn't going to come for anything less than what he got. So, I mean, I guess you have to overpay for someone to come to Phoenix. And they were desperate to get a point guard yeah. to pair with Booker. So, I mean, I don't hate the signing. Like you said, it's not ideal, but it's something, you know. Yeah, for sure. Who, who'd they have? Was it Isaiah Cannon that they, they had They went through six point guards last year. I mean, Isaiah Cannon was one. I, it, well, he broke his foot. I mean, you know, like, they, they there was went another, through a lot. There was a Kentucky guy, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, well, a, a guy that's not good. That was a couple of years ago. It was Tyler, was it? Tyler Ulis. That's it, A couple yeah. years ago. But, like, they, they have not had a point guard caliber play. I mean, Tyler Johnson came along at the trade deadline last year. He's still there. Um, making a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> so kudos to him. But you know, those are two players. I mean, you had Jared Allen and uh, and Dwight Howard. I had Devin Booker and um, Brooke Lopez. So I mean, just guys that you should definitely tune into on League Pass or or your illegal streams, whatever you consider viewing and, and watch. I mean, th- there's something to like about every player out there, and something to hate about every player out there. And I, I think we picked four really underrated guys, maybe. Uh, so. This is something I haven't done in a long time, a couple years. I've not done a mailbag segment on a podcast. I've only answered them via, you know, text or like, like writing wise or or, or Instagram something like that. But yeah, Clay and I went out to uh, Instagram and and posted, you know, our questions inquiry, and we got back seven good quality questions, seven or eight. We're gonna go through these. Some are gonna be shorter answers than others. Short. Some of them will not require a lot of thought. <laughs> some of them will. Um, and and we'll just go through them. First of all, I got a question from my buddy Kevin Fakowski from high school. Uh, went to high school with this dude. Really awesome Warriors fan. He said, "How good would the Warriors be if they were fully healthy?" Now I would assume Kevin, you're talking about Steph and Clay. Um, you know, Draymond's been nicked up a little bit, but let's just say optimal health for all for everyone involved. And still no Andre Guadalla, obviously, but that, that kind of sucks to say. It'll it? be here soon. Yeah, it'll be there. He's coming it'll, back. It'll be there soon. <laughs> Additionally, after that, what if a Ben Simmons for D'Angelo Russell swap happened? What you know, what would they look like? Now for the first for the first question here, I think if they were healthy, they were right around where I thought they would be as a fifty one to forty eight win team. Uh right into the thick of things. Now currently would they be better than, let's go through the list here. Lakers, no. Clippers, no. Rockets, no. Um, Mavericks? That's that's really interesting because you have the cohesiveness and the continuity of Golden State's guys. But Luka's been so sensational. And Rick Carlisle's like, proven to be a better coach throughout a regular season, I would, in my opinion, than Steve Kerr. Um, because he's actually willing to try a lot of different stuff that – and he likes to run pick and roll. And Steve Kerr says, no, thank you. I'm going to do the ball movements, Brad Stevens type of stuff. I think Dallas would still be better right now. But that's because Dallas is on a 52-53 win pace themselves. I mean, like, I think I think Golden State would still be a 6 or 7 spot. but Probably 7th. And that's... About where that, the Thunder are. Yeah, that's not saying anything about Steph. I mean, I'm one of the biggest Steph supporters you'll ever see. And, and Clay, But... Third defense outside of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and you know, Kevon Looney's been hurt. 
Like, if he's healthy, then, yeah, their defense Remember, is everybody's better. healthy in yeah, this scenario. It, it, yeah, yeah that, that's a good thing to point out if everyone's healthy because they're definitely the most injured team in the league right now. Yep. It's not even close. Um, if everyone's healthy, probably 52 wins out in the second out in the first round because they would probably play Denver or something like that. And I think against Denver, you need a Kevin Durant type, type of guy. Mm. And it, it's hard for me to say healthy because Clay did tear his ACL. Like, I can't just wipe that away. Yeah, he, I, he's not going to be the same Clay necessarily. Like, we yeah. don't know that for sure. So, so if, if the question said if Clay never tore his ACL, this yeah. team would be awesome. This team would probably be contending for the West Finals, you know. But but Clay's going to need some time. Yeah. So, I, I think that 51, 52 wins. Now, I'll let you take on the D'Angelo thing. Like, what if they said, okay, let's let's try to get Ben Simmons in here, get us some – now, that would improve their defense a lot. Ben Simmons is one of the most special defenders out there. D'Lo's been awesome and efficient this year from everywhere. Who do you like out of those guys, and would you want that for the Warriors? Would you want Ben Simmons there? Okay, so in this scenario, it's just going to be an even swap, D'Angelo for uh, Simmons straight up. And all, honestly, I like it for the Sixers more so I than do. the Warriors. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> but, you know, Ben Simmons, he'd be playing with Steph. And you'd think, like, just on paper, thinking about it, oh, that'd yeah. be a lot of fun. I don't love the fit. I think Ben Simmons – is almost the polar opposite of what KD was, and you're yeah. essentially sw- like, well, okay. If I just had to think about it in my basketball brain right now, I would, I would say Simmons is going to be strictly a screener in pick and roll, and you would have to hope that he has enough gravity to where his guy is going to stick with him sometimes on the roll. But that's asking Ben Simmons to do something he has not done yet in his career is be a reliable role man. And he's shown that adaptation isn't his strongest yeah. suit. So is he going to roll to the rim and create that gravity, that vertical gravity, like a uh, uh, well, Draymond can't catch lobs, but like like a Willie Cauley Stein type of guy. But Ben Simmons is only six nine, six ten. It'd be really weird. It'd be really tough to see that. And then you have Clay. Now, one reason I do think it would work is if you have Ben Simmons in any spot, call that under the rim, just being like waiting for something to happen. That's called the dunker spot, yeah. or setting a screen for Steph. Now you do have Clay running around. That's great in space too, because his guy has to be sticking to him. What you know, no matter the scenario. So I think Ben would fare well, but I, I kind of like it for Phil. I do like it for Philly, giving him beat someone that can actually fire up from 25, 26 feet. And I think I think it is an improvement on the current Warriors. I think they would be better off with Ben Simmons than with D'Lo, but I don't think it would like push them into. Yeah. Top contention, and then they have. I mean, Ben Simmons is on a max deal for the next four years. So, yeah, so I mean, like be even more locked up. But yeah, one thing that did surprise me, I thought the usage would be a big issue, but Kevin Durant, his usage with the Warriors was yeah. a lot higher than I thought it was when he was there. So they kind of needed it to because because everyone adapted. Like what what people don't realize is everyone on defensively throughout the league, Houston especially adapted to what Golden State did. If you see a, a math test a million times. And it's the same questions. You're going to ace it eventually, right? Yep. You're going. You might not ace it. You might forget something here or there. You might forget to stick with Steph Curry on this back cut. You might forget to send uh, a guy to the corner on pick and roll. But eventually, you're gonna you're gonna stick to your laurels. You're gonna understand what it takes. And Houston was one of the best. They they came the closest to stopping the Warriors because they could contain every little option, and Kevin Durant just beat them at the end because he would ISO against Trevor Ariza or PJ Tucker and typically get his. So yeah, I mean, if you put that in Ben Simmons, yeah, he's not going to do that. Yeah. So 
Uh, yeah, good question, Kevin. I, I do think the Warriors next year, really quickly, would be will be back into the the thick of things, and I would still probably say Dallas is going to be better next year, but it, it's going to be they'll be right there with Dallas next year. I think Golden State would. Yeah. They just have to get their bench better, which it's it's a train wreck. All right, what do you have for your question, Clay? All right, so my first question. <laughs> I saw this one. <laughs> My first question uh, comes from uh, my good friend Jordan Parker, and he asked if AD is re-signing with the Lakers. In a word, yes. If, barring a battle royale between LeBron and Anthony Davis, a Malice at the Palace-style fight between the two, yes, AD is re-signing with the Lakers. You could even go a step further and say, worst-case scenario, absolute worst-case scenario, let's say they draw the Spurs in the first round. And the Spurs just shoot lights out, and they beat them. That's not happening, guys. But if it did, I still would say Anthony Davis is resigning because Rich Paul is his agent. And if Rich Paul is his agent, and LeBron is Rich Paul's best friend, yeah. which they are, um, and it's Los Angeles, California. And now I can now take my word for this, guys. If you go to LA for four or five days, not sure if your buddy uh, Jordan has been there, but uh, Jordan, if you go to LA for four or five days, you are not going to want to come back. And Anthony Davis has been there for months, and he lives there in the off season anyway. So and that's where he wanted to go. Yes, like, there's no reason he wouldn't resign. Yes. Uh, I, w- I, you know, I will say if he wants to go play home in Chicago at some point, that's going to be later on. Eighties too, eighties too young, right? Yeah. Now. Uh, so yeah, good question, Jordan. Uh, I just, I, I, we both think that it's a lock. I mean, is he? By the way, is he a Lakers fan? Honestly, I don't know. Okay, I hope I hope you are. If, if you are, then that's good news. If not, then sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, my my question I have from Aaron Washington. I do a lot of podcasts with this guy. He, I'll actually uh, get you to subscribe to his pod, Aaron or uh, Clay, because it's really awesome. But but Aaron Washington asks, does Philly need to make a move before the traded line, which is February sixth? Who should they target? Um. I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I because I'm still really high on Philly when they're healthy. And I think that they don't necessarily need that many bench threats to beat a Bucks team, to beat a Celtics team, or to beat a Raptors team. And that's the guys, that's the teams that they're going to be in front of. Now, in order to combat the zone defense that Miami's going to throw at them, that Bright Stevens is going to throw at them, yeah, you, you kind of do need some shooters out there. But here's the problem. For Philly, here's why I say they're not going to make a trade that, that's going to advance their shooting. Now, that should they? Probably yes. I'll, I'll answer the question directly. Yes, they should. Or it, it's going to be hard for me to, to still pick Philly in a, in a playoff scenario. The reason is that there's not that many guys on the buyout market that's going to be available for shooting. Uh, for trades, they would love to get their hands on Robert Covington again. That's a guy, but. Yeah, I mean, because because everyone loves Robert Covington there. I mean, Joel Embiid was distraught when they got rid of him for Jimmy. But, like, you had to match salaries. And out of your core, who are you getting rid of? Are you going to throw in Mike Scott? Are you going to throw in James Ennis? Now, if you could replace those guys with shooters, perfect. But giving up anything in your lineup, anything in your in your main rotation, I don't, I don't agree with that, including Matisse Thibel. I think he's awesome for the future. You do not want to get rid of him whatsoever. Could you flip Trey Burke for something? Go ahead. But, I mean, like, like we're talking about guys like less than Marco Bellinelli, less than Ursan Eliasova. Those guys aren't going to be available. You aren't getting shooters like that now this year. So, 
any move they make, it's going to be very marginal, and it's not really going to make a big difference to me. Do they have much draft capital left? I'm not entirely sure, but okay. like, I would assume yes because no, I would sorry, I would assume no because of what they traded Markel for. Fultz trade. What they traded for Tobias. They traded oh. a gob to get Tobias Harris, okay. which the Clippers had. The Clippers got that back, and and credit to the Clippers. That was an awesome trade for them. Awesome trade for the Clippers. And I love Tobias Harris, but like on a max, I don't really. Um, so they're kind of strapped. And I would say just ride this out. If they don't go to the finals, you still have plenty of years with Simmons and B. They're they're locked up. So I mean, like, for better or for worse. Yeah. And some days it's for the for the greatest, and some days it's for the absolute worst. Um, so Aaron, like, should they? Yeah, but. There's not that many more. There's not that many guys out there. I mean, Ilyasova and Bellinelli came there two years ago at the buyout, and they had about twenty or so games with those guys. And then they went to the playoffs, and they looked awesome against Miami. Then they obviously lost to Boston. But like, you're just not going to find those shooters. And if they would have kept Redick, you know, you'd feel just a lot better about them right now. But yep. Josh Richardson is more of a mid-range specialist pull-up guy off drop coverage than a pull-up three-point shooter. And that's the kind of a problem right now. Do you think it's conceivable that they could get J.J. back this season? No. Is there any route to that? New Orleans buying him out for 20-plus million is just not going to happen. And they don't have – they can't trade. They don't no, have the pieces. No, well, if they, trade, if they trade J.J. to Philly, you have to match salary again. Like, so what like, do you got to do, Al or something? Well – Not that much. J.J. makes – what does he make? I think, I think it's like fourteen a year. Actually, I'm gonna look right now because I have time. Um, but but it's definitely a lot because he signed a guaranteed deal. I remember New Orleans was the only one that would give him that year. Well, all that's old. But um, two year, twenty six million a year. So yeah, thirteen point five a year or fourteen year. Yeah, you'd have to match fourteen million. And they don't have the contracts to do that yeah. without giving up guys that are helping them right now. So, yeah, it, it's just too hard for, to see for Philly. Now, what do you got, Clay, for your third question? Thanks, Aaron, by the way. All right, so uh, this one's coming to us from Trent Scott. He's a good friend that I worked with at UPS, and he asked me if the Lakers should re-sign Kyle Kuzma. Oh, I didn't even see this question. Yeah. Well, uh, he's – well, I, I when, think – When the time comes, I think, was – or keep him on board. Well, I think what's uh, – needs to be talked about there is that he'll be restricted. Yeah. He's going to be a restricted free agent, so you can sign, you can extend him or you cannot, and he, he's going to get offers from other teams when he hits free agency, but the Lakers have the the Lakers have the overpower right there. They, they have the rights to do whatever they want to do. They could either match any salary that someone's going to give him or say goodbye, and the way he's playing now, I'll let you answer, but the way he's playing now is proving that in time now he's a little bit older than Ingram and older than Lonzo so his development won't be as like won't be as extravagant as those guys but like we're seeing the scoring traits right now that we thought we would when he uh, when he was drafted yeah um so yes I I don't think the Lakers should re-sign Kyle Kuzma because I think if they make it to free agency with Kyle Kuzma still on their roster then they've done something horribly wrong well, I do not like Kyle Kuzma. I, I'm not. I don't, I don't. I'm not in love with the guy either. But like, he, he's making two million dollars right now, and he's performing at this value, overperforming his value by a lot. If you 
if you can get him, like if you have to get him for the max, then yeah, I'm with you. But I think that you won't have to do that. I think they're painting him, painting him into a corner right now, though. They're making him out to be the third best player on the team. That oh, go but to, he's not that. He's not. Yeah. And what I'm saying is either redefine his role yeah. or trade – because it, it, it's not fair to him. It's not fair to the team. I would do my best to trade him for a legitimate third option or stronger rotation pieces. Yeah, okay, well, now the re-signing one, it's a funny thing that that was actually the way that it was phrased instead of the trade. I, I figured if we got a question about Kuz, it would be like, should they trade him before the deadline? Because a lot of talk is, are we going to trade Kyle Kuzma? Um, are the Lakers going to try trade Kyle Kuzma for a established piece right now to help win this championship right now? And I always said the answer is no because he makes $2 million. Now, if he gets a free agency, he's a restricted free agent in 2021, okay? So he can be extended this summer, like summer 2020, he can be extended. Now, I think that his agent, they, they should, they're obviously going to want the max money. And because who wouldn't? I mean, you're a guy performing at 20, 20 points a game when you're actually playing as much as you should be. Um, and, and you're a guy that's efficiency has been kind of poor for most of the year, but it's, it's trending upward. They're going to want the max. Now, if the Lakers, Rob Palenka, who just got promoted to vice president, and he oversees the entire operation, if he can get him for anything less than that, like significantly less than that, then yeah, you keep him on board. And that's a helpful trade asset in the future. Danny Ainge is the, key of the, is the king of that. But if it's max or nothing, it'd be tough for me to do it too. But it, who, who is LeBron's big, or who is Kuzma's biggest supporter? It's LeBron. Mm-hmm. So you kind of fall in that same Cleveland type of ordeal there. If you could go back, like, obviously you're not in this position, but if you were a Lakers executive, you could go back to the trade, would you have given up Kuzma instead of Ingram? I like Ingram's fit on this team better. I, and I'm not I, a big Ingram guy. I, I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I like Ingram as a talent better, and he's, he's way better than Kuzma. But the fit, I... Last year, we had not seen Ingram be a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter the way Kuzma needs to be for LeBron, the way Kuzma is for LeBron and Anthony Davis right now. Kuzma's not as good of a shooter, probably, uh, when you consider the percentages, percentages this year. And just, to me, the confidence. I mean, Ingram is, is awesome right now. Ingram's probably going to be the all-star, which is crazy to say in his fourth year. Um, but with Kuzma... The fit is just cleaner to me because he's he's more active off the ball. Mm-hmm. He is awesome just to space to the corner, and defenses are going to react to Kuzma. They think he's a shooter, and they're going to react to him. Like with Ingram, I just feel like it'd be a little bit more ISO heavy than what the Lakers need. So I would I would do the same trade. Okay, I think Kuzma's just hit his ceiling. Okay, that's, and I, that's fair. I'm not. I don't love Kuzma. And I just think Brandon Ingram's ceiling is very high. It does, yeah. His floor is also pretty pretty low. But If this team wasn't comprised of LeBron and Anthony Davis, you keep Brandon Ingram and you, you build your entire organization around him. But when LeBron is pretty much saying, okay, I'm fine with giving up these guys, but I want to keep Kuz, you kind of got to do it. I would re-sign him for less than the max, though, by the way. I also unfairly just don't like Kuz. <laughs> like, I don't like the way he plays the game. I think he puts up fake stats. But Now, the Thunder game was not that. The Thunder game was a re- – like, he, they needed yes, every he bit. he played very well. But for the most part, 
he's definitely a gunner. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Um, fifth question here. Uh, this one's not this one's not that uh, in depth because because we haven't really we, we don't really have that much information on injury guys injury play guys but who are the most injury prone teams before the playoffs by Shannon Allen a good friend from Miami on Instagram uh, the most injury prone teams before the playoffs Philly obviously number one Philly. I mean Philly if they don't have be they don't have a chance get that hand right or you're not going to win the title you're not going to go to the second round if they don't get that hand right so or you know it, they, they would be embarrassed in the first round to me if they played like Miami or something like that Mavericks come to mind yeah Clippers Clippers big time because there's a lot of stuff we're actually going to flow into that question in a minute but like there's a lot of stuff with the Clippers to where they need to take it easy and, yep. and in order to take it easy you pretty much have to cough up regular season losses mm-hmm. to take it easy throughout this grind so the Clippers are definitely in the top three, but Dallas with Luka, one turn of the ankle, yeah. and KP's been out too. For some, oh, yeah, he's missed significant time yeah. this season. But for me, in terms of title chances that rest on one player, it's Philadelphia. Okay. Now with Miami, they've had injuries. Justice Winslow, for God's sake, I wish he could stay on the floor for more than two games at a time. Now he has a sore back, and I know Heat fans hate this, that he's had so many back ailments lately. But my, Miami continues to roll without the, some of their guys. Spolster just finds a way. Yep. But I think Brett Brown, <laughs> he's in trouble if they don't get Joel Embiid back. So that's one. Now, what's your what's your next question? All right. Um, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. This one comes to me from uh, Luke Leeper, and he asked if if Tyler Hero will be an All Star next season. I, I I like Tyler Hero a lot. I think he's a good player. He's not an all-star level guy. Like, no. And Kentucky fans, take it easy. He's a great player. He can be a well, contributor to a great team. Let me ask you this. Okay. Easy question, right? Easy. Yeah. Are the Heat going to get three all-stars next year? No. Then the answer is no. Yeah. I mean, the Heat have Bam Adebayo, who is the best player, not named Jimmy Butler on the team, by a significant margin. You know, there, there's no point. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, I... I I don't think that Bam, or I don't think that Hero is going to be a 20-point-a-game guy that's doing it on awesome efficiency when he's playing next to Jimmy and Bam. So is he an all-star caliber at some point? Yeah, caliber at some point. But there's not enough – like, I think what people no, – I'm, I'm not saying Luke here is saying this, but, like, just in general, people think, oh, well, this guy's going to be an all-star. Well, then who, who are you knocking off? I mean, you have 11 spots. You have 12 spots. Let's just say that let's say Harrow made it. Then you have eleven spots. I mean, it's just really hard to get everyone that deserves to be there because you're either knocking off Ben Simmons, you're knocking off one of the Celtics, you're knocking off uh, two Bucks. You know, it, it, there's just not as many spots as people think there is. And also, I think it's just important to note because I love Ty- Tyler Hero. I think he's a great player. He's better than Kendrick Nunn, and I don't think it's particularly close. I think Kendrick Nunn's having a really nice season. But long term, I yeah, would take. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Kendrick Nunn guy. Yeah, Harrell's like Harrell's gonna be awesome. He, I mean, he you know he gets starter minutes most of the time. He he hits clutch like absolutely confident and just like big ahone shots. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh my god, this guy already come to the league as a rookie and has this level of confidence. I I really have never seen that before. Yeah. Out of a Kentucky guy, uh, <laughs> normally those like Devin Booker came in. He's c- kind of quiet. 
doesn't really say a lot. I mean, Hero, he lets you know when, when he's giving it to you on the court. Now, I do like that from him, but the defense is atrocious. The defense is bad. And play, that's going to keep him off the floor in, clutch, in crunch time if Eric Spolstra is still there, which he will be for forever. Okay. So, you know, you got, you got Jimmy and Bam. Those guys lead the train. And, and Justice, if he was on the floor, it wouldn't even be a question. He'd be their third best player. Yeah, but tell Gordon, her. Gordon Drogic is still there. Like, there's too many guys. You always and, forget about Drogic. Yeah. Like, God. So, no, Hero. All right, over under years it will take before Hero has a chance. I would say five. Yeah, Dummy. four or five. Yeah. Next year is out. I was wrong saying he's not all-star caliber, but I personally don't think he will yeah. get to that level. Like, like, you have to remember, Brendan Ingram might not make the all-star team this year, and he's averaging 25 on awesome shooting. Yeah, Eric Bledsoe a couple years ago was a yeah. huge snub who comes to mind. Yeah, so sorry. I mean, I like your open now. <laughs> uh, my last question here, uh, and this will be it for us tonight. Do you think Kawhi Leonard is hiding an injury from the public? From my buddy Patrick Stice, awesome friend from high school and uh, church. I love Patrick, and I love this question because it's something we actually need to talk to for two or three minutes. No, he's not hiding an injury. He is simply preserving what needs to be preserved. If you remember, I'm talking to you, Patrick, or you, Clay, back in the finals, or actually it started game five or game six of the series against Milwaukee, Kawhi came down after a dunk or a block attempt. I, I think it was a I think it was a dunk, and he was hobbling. He played the entire game six against Milwaukee and the whole entire finals on a bad leg, left leg. That left leg is is in that left knee I should say is in very bad shape, considering how much load he has to actually take on a, a nightly basis. Um, so. It, I, I think with the public seeing him rest back-to-backs, with the public seeing him miss two games in a row here and there, you know, not going a road trip to Memphis or something like that, uh, sitting out against, you know, let's let's say the Spurs, you know, a, a game that that Doc would trust Paul George and his crew to win anyway, that's not indicative of what's really going on. It's just that Kawhi is making sure that that knee that has had the entire summer to heal, and, you know, if you, if you remember, like, if he plays basketball in June – that's a short turnaround before the season, so it only had a couple months to heal. And he doesn't want that to reappear, that to become a problem again when they're playing the first-round series against the Thunder or, you know, the first-round series against the Spurs. Because the West, you have three hard series before you get to the finals. And if he's playing all those games, because remember, he doesn't sit out playoff games. You know, that's that would be crazy. Yeah. If he's going to play hard 38-minute-a-night games in the playoffs, you need that need to be fully healthy. He's not hiding anything. He just ha- that knee's in bad shape for an 82-game season. That's all it is. Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked to see this continue to be a trend throughout the rest of his career. Like, oh, it should be. Yeah. What would you say if you... Uh, the, if you if you sell every back-to-back... 69 games? You're at 69 already. Yeah. Now, that does include all, a knee contusion, which he had this year, and that's probably, Patrick, what you were referring to when he was out for like five or six straight, mm-hmm. four or five straight games. Now, he got bumped in the knee, and that, that was what was causing that. But, like, overall, the knee, if the doctors tell him he's not able to play back-to-backs and be fully 100%, then why do it in January? Why do it? I mean, I, you could probably get into your rant, Clay, about load management and how, like, 
the the road team crowd would love to see him play, you know, but like another time. <laughs> yeah, I, to me though, what matters the most is winning a third championship with a third with a third team, something no one's ever done as a Finals MVP. He's chasing history here, and I think to me, sixty-eight or or let's call it sixty-two games played is more than enough. Yeah, for I mean, for a superstar, I mean. 20 misses on back-to-backs and, and, you know, various little, like, nick, dents and nings. But, like, you know, it, it's not that bad. I don't like it for every player yeah. in the NBA, but in his specific case, sure. Why yeah. not? So, he, like, he's not hiding the knee injuries. Yeah, I don't think he's hiding anything. I think Kawhi is very one-track-minded, and all he's worried about is uh, playing in June. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I, last point here about this. Doc Rivers said after they played the other night, Against the Warriors, that comeback win, he said, "This is the best Clay or Clay. This is the best Kawhi has looked all year in terms of his knee. This is the most lift he's had. This is the this is the most optimal rest. They had four days off between between games. That was just how the schedule was built in. Now, if we can get to a point in the NBA season where we have four days off as a regular, and then teams only play twice a week instead of you know like your Celtics play four games in five nights." Because they're trying to make up time. Yeah, that's a bad NBA. I don't want that. I want I want rest. Consistency. Yeah, I want some rest. Like now, college is too much for me. College they play once a week, once every week and a half, right? Yeah. And I, and I, I think you need more than that. But like eighty-two games, if we can stretch it out a little bit and get some more rest, you wouldn't see Kawhi resting all this time. Last question for you, uh, Shane. Okay. Tomorrow. Uh you got two purple and gold teams playing that you're a big fan oh of. Oh my lord! Where is your Where is your focus going to be at tomorrow? You're going to be watching the what Lakers. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the national championship. Yeah, but who's the other purple and gold? Lakers. Who are they playing? Cavs. Same time. Oh my god! Well, I'm not going <laughs> to be watching that game. I'm going to be watching Joe Burrow throw for 600 <laughs> yards and a half. So just to be I'm clear, be LSU is a that's your pick for tomorrow night. LSU is going to win about <laughs> 25. Mark it down. 25 right now. They're going to win by 25. I don't disagree. I think Clemson is extremely overrated. I really? love Joe Burrow. Really? Yeah. there. They haven't lost a game in two years. I know. I don't like them. <laughs> they barely beat North Carolina. They needed everything in their power to beat North Carolina. When was that game? Uh, like midway through the season. Okay. Louisville gave them a good fight. Well, my theory is if you beat the number four team in the country by uh, a million points, which they did, yeah. then you're the clear-cut favorite. And – it's really confusing. I mean, they're they're minus five and a half for the the opening line. I thought it'd been like minus ten, but you know, whatever. Joe Burrow. I, I've never seen a season like this. Maybe there has been. I'm not a college football expert, but like forty eight touchdowns to, to six or seven picks, and that was before the Oklahoma game. So you're up to like fifty four, fifty five now. And he came out of nowhere for people not familiar yeah. with Baton Rouge. Anyway, that, that's not what we're here to talk about. I just wanted to <laughs> see your thoughts on it because I know you're an LSU guy. Yeah, and it's funny like. I, People, how long have you been an LSU fan? Well, I got receipts that show 2011, 2010. And, and I, I'm sorry, I just don't have time to watch every game they play. I mean, I've probably watched three or four, but I'm still going to follow them, you know. Yeah. But LSU for the win, and this has been a fun podcast. We went a lot longer than what we've considered, but it's okay. It's it's practice. It's only our second pod. We will shorten it down. We had a lot of topics. Clay, what are you going to be doing uh, this week? This week, um, just getting back into the swing of school, man. Oh yeah, watching he, basketball. He's got like eight classes, so he's yeah. he's loaded. Plus, he's got duties as a what do you call that? RA. What is it? It's a resident assistant, yeah, basically. I mean, 
Just make sure nobody on my floor in my building dies on my watch. Jeez, imagine if it did. Yeah. But, Clay, it's been awesome, and we'll definitely uh, ha- have a lot more topics, and we'll watch a lot more basketball as we near the trade deadline in a few weeks. For Shane Young and Clay Wilder, have a good one.